meals and we pray out in public. But kind of funny, I was thinking about it. It doesn't always feel like I'm praying to God. Sometimes it just, or talking to someone. Sometimes it just feels like I'm saying words. But prayer is actual conversation with God. And I have to tell you, in the month or so since I began to prepare for this sermon, mostly in the last week, (laughs) um, God has really blessed me in thinking about prayer and just talking to him. We don't have to have a deep theological insight to talk to God. We can just talk to him like we talk to one another. And he listens, and he's with us, and he'll respond. So uh, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, but as you probably know, what we should really call it is the disciples' prayer. Because it's a prayer for people that follow Jesus, his disciples. And in it, we see um, core attitudes, convictions, truths that as Christ followers, we want to have when we talk with him. Things that undergird uh, our relationship with him. Um, But I want to let you know right now, it's not that every prayer has to cover the Lord's Prayer every time. Okay? We know that from the Bible. We look many times. Sometimes our prayer is just, help! Help! Sometimes it's, wow! Uh, Sometimes it's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Sometimes it's, I don't understand, and I'm really upset, I'm angry. Those are all prayers that we find God's people offering to him in the Bible. So, so this is not a formula that you must follow. Although we can say it together and we can just pray the Lord's Prayer. And as long as we understand it, it's helpful to us and we're actually connecting with God. But it also um, shows us some key areas that we want to remember when we pray. So here's my main point. It should be up there. All right. It might be a run-on sentence. I'm not a grammarian. Luke's not here. So here we go. Prayer is a conversation with God, our Father, who's worthy to be adored and loved, who's making everything right, who provides for us, who forgives us and leads us through life into deeper relationship with him. I think that's what we see in Luke chapter 11, which, by the way, Luke chapter 11 is one time that Jesus taught on prayer. Another time Matthew reflects in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Very similar. There's a few little different things. It's not surprising that as Jesus teaches on prayer that he would say the same thing. But it's not also surprising if it's not exactly the same. Okay? So we're going to focus on on Luke uh, 11, but you could go back and forth between the two. So as we talk about prayer, I do want to stop and ask, why is prayer difficult? Why is it so hard to pray sometimes? And I have to say, sometimes it's because in many ways we feel like we're a stranger to God. You know? We just had greeting time. I was thinking about the sermon, but if I would have gotten up and talked to you and I said, you know what? Hey, I'm Tim. What's your name? Oh, John, nice to meet you. Uh, You know, last night I yelled at my kids twice. Then I ate two bowls of cereal and followed it with some ice cream. And I went to bed. And I just don't feel so good right now. You'd be like... I don't really know you. (laughs) Why are you telling me these things? And so, of course, I wouldn't tell you those things, right? Or sometimes, even if we have an acquaintance, we wouldn't go to them and and we wouldn't tell them just an acquaintance. You know what? My wife and I, we're struggling to connect right now. Or I'm concerned about my kids. I love them and I don't know how to talk to them. Or 
uh, my company is downsizing and I'm not sure that I'm going to have a job. We wouldn't do that with a stranger or, or an acquaintance, but we, we would do that with a close friend. We would do that with someone that loves us deeply. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. That we are not strangers to God. And he is not a stranger to us. So we can go to him in every circumstance. So, verse 2. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Jesus wants you to know that God, if you're a Christian, God is your Father. Is that uncomfortable for you to think of God as your father? I bet it was uncomfortable for the disciples. The commentators say that, that the way Jesus is praying here, uh, and you might have heard it, Abba, Dada, Baba, all these first words that we say when we acknowledge our father, that that's the kind of word it is. Daddy. Is that uncomfortable? I bet it was uncomfortable for them. In the history of Israel, they would refer to God as their father, but like the father of our nation. They wouldn't necessarily come to God and say, God, you are my personal father. So does that, does that make it hard for you a little bit to think of God as your dad, as your father? You know, we all have baggage. Even good dads create baggage. Um, last week, my 16-year-old Caden came to me. It was uh, like 10.30 at night. And he wanted to talk, and he asked me for something. And of course, I immediately said no. And, and his older brother, who's much wiser, was standing next to him. And he said, Caden, don't you know never ask Dad anything at night? <laughs> of course. You know? Um, do we think of God that way? God's temperamental? We have to come to him in the right way. Is he temperamental like I'm temperamental? Let's be honest. Is he temperamental like you're temperamental? Or is he faithful and kind and always ready to hear from his children? You know, some of us have other baggage. Uh, maybe our dads were absent. To us, the word dad doesn't mean a lot. It may mean a hole in our heart because we didn't really know him. Or uh, it might be that we didn't, like, there was great harm caused by our dads. And so when we think of father, we're maybe angry. And so what you need to know that when Jesus says that God is your father... He means it. But see, God is the father that every other father would want to be like if they wanted to be a good father. So he's not the temperamental father, the angry father, the indifferent father, the absent father. He's the father that loves you, that would lay down his life, would give anything for you. Do you doubt it? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. And when you do, go to the Bible. And see what he's like. Jesus said, you want to know what the Father's like? He told a story, my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I would bring it up every sermon if I could. That's why Luke only brings me in every three or four months. Uh, the prodigal son. Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you have. Here's the shorthand of it. There's a dad with two kids. They have a large estate. The younger one comes to him and says, I, I want what I should have when you die. I want it now. In essence... I kind of wish you were dead so I could have a good time, so I could move on. And we call it the story of the prodigal son, but it really ought to be called the story of the reckless, loving father. Because he sells, he divides the estate. He sells 
that portion that had to be costly to him and gives it to the son and the son goes off and he wastes it all. And while he's far away, he thinks back to his father and says, you know, if I was at home, I'd at least have some food. I bet if I go back home, maybe my father will, maybe he'll make me a servant and allow me at least to eat. And you got to say, well, this must be a pretty good dad because if my kids like steal everything for me, I don't know that they're going to be thinking they could even think about coming home. And he goes home and he's walking down the road to home and he's dirty and dusty. And when he's a long way off, the father's on the porch and he sees him and he runs to him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he says, come in, get cleaned up. Let's have a party. My son was lost. And now he's found. My son, he was dead to me and now he's back. What kind of father is that? That loves like that. That's your heavenly father. That's what Jesus says. This is who you are talking to. When you say father, it's him. If you don't know him as your father, you can. Jesus said, the only way to the father is through me. Jesus came, lived the life we should have lived. He died and took the just punishment that we deserved because we didn't live that life. And we don't. And he rose. And now if we want that kind of father, we just have to come to him and say, I'm messed up. I can't fix myself. I don't deserve your grace. Forgive me. I want that for me. And he'll take us. And he'll adopt us into his family. And he'll make us his children. And then we can pray and we can say, Father... And we can know it's true. So when we pray, we say, Father. And we can trust Him. And we go forward and we say, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? We don't use that word, hallowed. Um, We have a catechism. We have a confession of faith in the PCA. And and uh, the Westminster catechism question 190 does a great job of explaining what that means and here's what it means it means when we pray hallowed be your name what we're saying is god help us and others to really know you and worship you that sounds pretty good help us use us to help other people know who you are and make yourself known do we want to pray that we should pray that when we pray we want other people to know our heavenly father um when I'm Rachel, my wife, we've been married uh, 24 years in about two weeks. Um, and when I first met her, I couldn't believe that she wanted to go out with me. And, and if you know me, you're not surprised. <laughs> and if you know her, you're like, yeah, I, I get it, Tim. Uh, in fact, I took her to a dance once, and uh, one of my fraternity brothers was like, I can't believe she's going out with Roundtree. So Mark, if you're listening anywhere, <laughs> 24 years, brother. Uh, and I have to tell the truth. Um, like meeting her and dating her, I made me feel better about myself. Is anybody in that position or am I the only one? Hopefully not, you know? It didn't, I was like, man, yeah, this is good, right? But as I got to know her um, and, and know who she was and who she is and appreciate her character and her kindness, um, I wanted other people to know her. So I call, you know, mom, you gotta, you gotta meet this girl. She's awesome. You know, Papa. I want to bring this girl. I want you to know her, you know. And now I even still enjoy to hear her talk with other people. 
Because when I, uh, I, I get to know more about her, even just seeing her talk to other people, but also you, you get to know how great she is. When we say, Father, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, I want you to know how awesome my heavenly Father is who loves me. That's what we're saying. Amen? Come on now. Amen. Are you still excited to tell people about your Heavenly Father? Are you distracted by what's going on around you? Are you distressed by life? I know I, I frequently am. You know? So guess what we can do? We go to our Father. And we say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, renew my heart so that I really want to tell other people about you. I used to. I was really excited kind of worn off stir that up in me again father and then we go on and we say father your kingdom come and what that's really saying is father i want for myself what you want for me because i trust you and i know that what you want for me is best you know if we can say those words by the way the, we want to know how to live in this world that we live in and share christ with others if, if we can say father hallowed be your name if we would say that. We can't say that, would we? If we would say that. Your kingdom come. Other people are going to notice. And God's going to use us to draw them to himself. So we say we want for ourselves what you want for me. But what does God want for us? You know, we live in a different homes and in different jobs and in different towns than all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ and different countries and cultures. Is there anything that we can say that God, we know for certain that God wants for us? And, and there is. You know, the Bible tells a large story of what God is doing in the world. And every once in a while, there are these summary statements and chapters that tell us what God's up to. And Romans chapter 8 is a great one. If you want to grow in your faith, the book of Romans is a great book to read. You know, the whole Bible's good, but go to Romans. And particularly chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Get in there and read. And what do we find in Romans chapter 8? Here's what God says He's doing for His children. Our Father says that He's saving us and He's using everything in our lives, our jobs, our relationships, our friendships, our enemies, our difficulties, everything to make us more like Jesus. So that we would be the kind of people that love God fully with our whole heart and that we would love our neighbors as ourself. That's what God's up to. So when we pray, Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come. What we're saying is, in part, Father, do that in me. But you know what else we're saying? We're saying do that in our world. Because the story of the Bible is, is that God made a perfect world and we messed it up and he didn't abandon it, but instead he sent his son to fix the problem and that one day he's going to come back and complete what remains and make everything new again. That's the picture of the Bible. And that's particularly in Revelation chapter 22. We see that heaven comes to earth. God's with man. Guess what? There is no more of. No more sickness. No more crying. No more suffering. No more pain. I'm going to be out of a job. I'm a lawyer. I deal with people that are fighting. No more fighting. I guess some of our doctors are going to be out of jobs. Sorry. You know, artist, you're safe. You get, to, you get to keep on going. 
We're all going to be artists worshiping our amazing God. But for the time being, when we say, Father, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, Father, spread your grace and peace around us and help us follow you in that. Where can we be just to the people around us? Where can we be kind? Where can we, by God's grace, love when it's not normal to love? That's what we're praying when we pray, your kingdom come. It's a good prayer. It's a good prayer to pray. And then we say, Father, give us our daily bread. That's a hard one for me. I'm self-employed. Every day I'm unemployed. Every day, you know, next week may be a different week. I might have enough today, but will I have enough next week, next month, next year? And I used to think that was my only problem, but now talking to friends that work in businesses and companies, it's everybody's problem. Is the job going to downsize? Am I going to have a job? You know? And we have a father who says, I know that you need these things. Like chapter 12, the very next chapter from the one we're reading. You know, your father, he, he, he provides for the birds. They don't do anything for that. He provides. He clothes the flowers in a beautiful way. Don't worry. He's going to provide for you. And when we don't remember that, uh, I think one thing we face is fear. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's really hard to love when you're afraid. Have you ever noticed that? You know? Some of us, we struggle with anxiety deeply. I, I have, I do. And you know what? When I'm anxious and fearful, I'm not a very good dad. I don't really love like I want to because I can't really see things the right way. Right? Um, if you're afraid, it's hard to love. If you're afraid, it's hard to be generous with your time, with your resources. It's just hard to reach out. I've got to do what I've got to do. Right? And God says, no. Your father says, no. Come to me. Come to me. And say, give me what I need today. And actually, there's some dispute. Some people say what it, some scholars say it actually means give me tomorrow's bread today. I kind of like that better. <laughs> I like, I have today and tomorrow. That's good. But the truth is that um, that prayer is not just for people that seem to be teetering on the edge of poverty. That prayer is even for people that have millions in the bank. I think John Calvin's words and commentary on this passage uh, are very helpful. Here's what he says. He said, Unless God feeds us daily, the largest accumulation of necessaries of life will be of no avail. Though we might have an abundance of corn, of wine, of everything else, Unless they're watered by the secret blessing of God, they will suddenly vanish. Or we will be deprived of the use of them. Or they will lose their power to support us so that we shall famish in the midst of plenty. So the truth is, whether we have a lot in the bank or not much at all, we still daily must go to our Father and say, Father, give us what we need. And in doing that, we'll be able to live better and more maturely in this world that he's put us in. So let's move on. Not only do we say, Father, we want everyone to know who you are, and we love you, and we want your will to be done, and give us what I need, uh, what we need. We say, Father, forgive us. That's in verse 4. Father, forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And I have to say, if, if I'm honest, if you're honest with yourself, you'd say you're not really very good. The interesting thing about being a Christian is the more that you mature, 
the more you realize how good you're really not. Because you got these obvious things that no one else sees anymore, but you know your heart. You know that you don't love when you ought to, and sometimes when you do a, what seems to be a loving thing, you're just doing it because it's easier than saying go to bed and dealing with the fallout, right? Or you do it because you want others to, to not think that you don't love when you don't love, right? The more we grow in Christ, the more we see how far we've really missed the mark, and that means, conversely, that we see how great God's mercy is to us and his love. Does that make sense? It's a good thing to see your sin. And it's a good thing to confess your sin. And that's what Jesus is saying. If we're honest, we need to confess. If we're going to remain close to God, because sin, honestly, our inclination is to hide sin, right? We don't want to tell others. And we surely don't want to talk to God about it, but surprise, God knows, right? Like, you're never going to tell him something he didn't already know. So why does he say, confess? Well, we're going to talk about that. But it's hard for us to confess, right? Yeah, I'm a lawyer. I do criminal law. I stand up in front of a judge frequently with clients. Sometimes we have an agreement. Sometimes we don't. And there's three possible pleas when you stand in front of a judge. You can say, I'm not guilty. You can say, I'm guilty. Or you can say, I'm not saying I'm guilty. I'm not saying I'm not guilty. I just want this deal. That's called no contest. If you've had a traffic ticket, you've probably all done that. Because no one wants to admit they're guilty, right? Even when I have a great deal worked out that I've explained and my client wants. When we stand up in front of the judge and the judge says, how do you plead guilty, not guilty, no contest? Like people just look, you know? I'm like, well, you know. What are you going to do, right? And that's a little funny, but to be serious, there are times when we stand in front of a judge, when I stand in front of a judge with someone where there is no deal. And you say, I'm guilty, and you just wait. And you wonder, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get 20 years, or am I going to get probation? That is not Christian confession. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. Here's a quote from Herman, or Hermann Bavink, a Dutch theologian. For believers, prayer for forgiveness remains a daily necessity. But in that case, they do not pray in doubt and despair. They do not pray as though they are no longer children of God and again face eternal damnation. They pray from within the faith as children to the Father who is in heaven and says amen to their prayers. And it goes on. I couldn't put it on there. Sin always entails doubt. No, we we wonder, does God really love me? Will he really forgive me again? But repentance and confession continue to be the means by which God restores us to his fellowship and and assures us of his favor. 1 John 1, 9 or 19 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Romans 5 says, There is never and there is therefore now no more condemnation for you if you're in Christ. You don't have to be afraid to go to God. And you need to, because if you're going to have real life, you've got to be close to Him. And you won't feel close to Him when you know that you've sinned against Him and you're unwilling to confess. It's the same as all of our relationships. There's no other person that if you've done wrong... And you don't come to them and say, I'm sorry, 
that you're going to feel close to. Now, they might forgive you, even when you don't. They're gracious. But you know you're going to pull back. You know? God says, no, don't do that. Come to me. Confess. It's good. It's good for your soul. And as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, in a church this size, we're going to have a lot of sinners, like all of us, right? And we're going to hurt one another. We're going to say mean things. We're going to do the wrong thing. We're, we're going to be inconsiderate. And heck, in the little family, we're going to do that, right? But here's what the gospel is. If, if we've received such great forgiveness from our Heavenly Father, remember we talked about the magnitude of our sin, then we need to resemble Him and we're called to follow Him in forgiveness as we forgive others. It's not optional. Forgiveness is complex. I can say that about everything. It's complex. Forgiveness doesn't always mean uh, we just go on like nothing ever happened. That's not what I mean. But forgiveness does mean that I'm not seeking just, I'm not seeking retribution or to punish them for what they did. Okay? So we're called to forgiveness. And if we can practice forgiveness with ourselves and with even un- with unbelievers, people that do not yet know Jesus, it will be different. It will be attractive. People will be drawn to Christ. And we'll be spiritually mature and we'll be like our Father in heaven. So we can say, Father, forgive us our sins for, for we too are forgiving those who've sinned against us. And we're coming to a close. At the end of the prayer, we say, And Father, lead us not into temptation. What's that about? That was a hard one. I think what we're saying there is, Father, lead us into deeper life with you. And don't let us satisfy ourselves with substitutes. Don't let us, when we're tempted to put our hope or faith in something else, and think that that's what's going to make us happy. That's what's going to make us safe. That's what's going to provide our need. Don't let us do that. Keep us with you, Father. Keep us following you. Lead us not into temptation and ask so that we can follow him. We're, we're going to feel intense pressure uh, at different times in our lives not to follow Jesus. It could be through our work. It could be through our friendships. Uh, it could just be our own pressure that we want what we want. And that's not, we don't seem to be getting it. And if I could just go this other way, even though, God, I know you don't want me to. If I could just do that, I'd be happy. And so we need to be praying, Lord, don't let us fall into the, to temptation. Lead us out of that. So we're going to close where we began. Jesus is praying and he's talking to his heavenly Father. So we want to talk to our heavenly Father. Let me encourage you. Talk to him. Because he's going to answer and not only is he going to answer, he's going to give you himself. And that's what the little portion of the last part of the passage that we read. You know, when you go to your father and you ask him for a fish, he doesn't give you a snake. Luke's glad he's not here. He's definitely afraid of snakes. He's not going to give us a snake. When we go to your father and you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. And that's ridiculous, right? Of course, we would never think God would do that. Well, do we? Actually, sometimes, as I heard another preacher say, we're very convinced and afraid that maybe God is going to give us a snake or a scorpion. He's not going to give us what's good for us. But the truth is, he is. He's proved that over and over because he gave us his son. And this is what he says at the end of that parable. If you guys 
who are evil, if you guys who actually struggle with sin and know the depth of your sin, if, if you know and you would only give your kids good gifts, and there's no parent in here that wouldn't give their kids good gifts, how much more is your Heavenly Father, who's perfect and good and right, going to give you His Spirit? How much more is He going to give you Himself? See, prayer is about walking with God in life. Prayer is where our lives and our God intersect. And it's what we deeply need. We need Him. And the promise of our Heavenly Father is that if we ask, He'll give us Himself. I didn't write this stuff down. Let me challenge you today. When you get in the car, turn off the radio. Don't turn it on right away and just start to pray. It's going to feel awkward, you know, especially if you're with other people. Maybe wait until you're alone. <laughs> turn off the radio and start to pray. And just kind of think through the Lord's Prayer. Father, do I, do I really think of you as my Father? Are you my Father? <laughs> You are my father, you know. Father, help, help me. I'm going to deal with George today. Old George, don't like George. <laughs> Let him see how good you are in me and, and bring him to yourself, Father. Um, you know, Father, I, this is what I need. Help. Father, don't let me give into that temptation that I know I'm going to... F- you know, just pray. Keep the radio off until you're done. And then... The next time you get in the car at lunch and you're on the way to the restaurant, don't just turn it on. Pray. And then when you get home and you're pulling the driveway, and don't just turn the keys off. Leave the AC on. And before you walk in, pray. Right? Uh, and maybe when you roll over in bed and the first thing in the morning, don't grab your iPhone. Pray. And talk to your Father in heaven who is with you and who loves you more than you could ever know. And you'll be able to uh, grow in maturity and strengthen. You'll know him um, and you'll have joy and peace. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have loved us, that you are so good to us. Uh, we don't believe you often. Everything we've said is true and we struggle to believe it. But you're gracious and you're kind. We confess that we are weak. We thank you that you are strong. You didn't call us because we were smart or good looking or wealthy or Uh, intelligent or coordinated or anything else you called us because you called us because you love us for your glory and for our good and so we say thank you we say thank you to you for that and we pray that you would help us to learn to pray all the time i pray we pray that you would help us just to learn to walk with you that we would have real life and we ask this in confidence because we know that you love us amen Thanks, Tim. The rest of our service this morning is meant to be a response to the words uh, that we have heard from God's Word. Um, and I'd like to encourage you that if, if you do not know God as your Father, so you don't pray to Him, or if you do know Him as your Father, but you have fallen out of the habit of praying, or if praying is just difficult for you, um, Consider what, especially what Tim said about confession. I love that quote that he read about how confession is not something that Christians do in dis.